This is a question from my colleague Deanna on Instagram, and she said, do you have ideas for movement activities tied to creativity or as a scaffold to notation? This is a really fun question because there are so many different possible avenues that we could take to use movement as an exploration of musical concepts. So I think that I will answer this uh, from a fairly broad perspective, uh, talking about musical elements. And then we can tailor those down, those elements down to very specific ways to notate these elements at a later time. But I think that a more broad look will be a little bit more applicable to different situations as opposed to saying uh, the way to teach notation with movement is to slide with half notes. That's a good idea, but maybe if we take just a little bit more of a zoomed out view, we might come up with a few more ideas. So let's talk about using movement to scaffold to uh, rhythmic, melodic, musical patterns that we can then notate. And let's embed creativity in the process as we do that. The questions within the question that we are going to ask are, number one, what is the purpose of the activity? And then what is the essence of the musical understanding? So rather than approaching this as, hey, here are some fun movement activities for second grade, we will say, hey, here are some movement activities that are tied to a musical purpose. And then when it's time to find that musical purpose, instead of saying, hey, here's how you can teach half notes, we'll talk about more broad understandings of rhythm in general. That way we can apply it to a lot of situations outside this specific way to notate one sound over two beats. We'll look at some very specific examples, like some very actionable things that you can kind of drag and drop into your classroom tomorrow or in the fall, depending on when you're listening to this. And with those examples, I'm gonna to try to focus on uh, creative movement as opposed to very structured movement. Structured movement would be something like a singing game or um, a folk dance or something like that. Creative movement is when students are tasked with coming up with the musical, with the movement idea themselves. They generate the movement. Uh, in their own imagination, as opposed to having the teacher say, first step this way for eight beats, then turn with your partner, that kind of thing. Both of them are extremely valuable. It's not that creative movement is better than structured movement. It's just for the purposes of this specific question, I think this would be a fun thing for us to explore. Let's talk about some ways to use movement as a way to explore rhythm and melody and form and expression and texture. Let's start with rhythm. So how can we use movement to reinforce some of these conceptual understandings about duration? And how can we embed student choice and creativity along the way? So rhythmic understandings, when we talk about a rhythmic understanding, we are talking about understanding a duration. Rhythm is about how long or short something is. So how can we use our bodies to show duration? Well, there are lots of possibilities here. Uh, the most common one that I have seen, the most common one that I have used is a uh, very simple, which is just tiptoeing steps and slides. So you might, let's just use the example of the song, Who Has Seen the Wind? Let's say that you have some different lengths of gusts of wind drawn on the board. So like a very long gust of wind. And let's say that you have two little leaves as if they are blowing in the wind and then one larger leaf. 
We can create different shape combinations of the long gust of wind and then the two little leaves and then the larger single leaf. We can put those in different combinations and ask students to move to show what they see on the board. And at this point, they are not going to say, aha, I recognize that this elongated gust of wind must be related to our notation that shows one sound over two beats. Excellent. This is a half note. That's not what students are going to say. They are just going to show you what they see. And you can have some time to explore these different lengths, you know, students all around in open space like that. And then eventually you can transition those shapes to match the notation of who has seen the wind, neither I nor you, and use that as iconic notation to reinforce the different durations of that rhythm. Now, the nice thing is that when it is time for you to introduce the standard Western notation, if that's how you choose to play it, and when it's time to actually present a half note, students already have this kinesthetic experience of one sound elongated over two beats because they've experienced it with their body. They have embodied that duration understanding, that rhythmic understanding. So that's just one thought. We can use our bodies to show duration. Another rhythmic understanding has to do with meter and metric understandings are about duration for sure, but also about weight. Uh, there is a different weight assigned to different beats in the meter. So how can we use our bodies to show duration and weight? One really fun way to do this is combining things like stepping and skipping. That is a fabulous way to really actively embody that musical understanding. So a, a really easy one to jump into is uh, the song As I Was Walking Down the Street, which is As I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street, a friend of mine I chanced to meet. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. Riggin' chick chicken away we go, away we go, away we go. Riggin' chick chicken away we go. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. So you can hear that if you wanted to move to these different sections of the song, you know, this song is split up in half and the first half, if you wanted to move to it, you would probably end up stepping or something along those lines as I was walking in simple meter, simple meter, simple duple, right? Very stepwise motion is what the, the meter implies. And then we move on to this rigging chick chicken away we go, away we go, away we go, rigging chick chicken compound meter hi ho hi ho hi ho that is not as conducive to stepping as much as it is to skipping and so when we play this game with kids we are going to step at the beginning and then when we move to the rig a jig jig and away we go that's where we move to skipping it's not necessary for students to have a cognitive understanding of the difference between simple duple and compound duple. They don't need to have that cognitive understanding in order to experience those differences in meter. So you can use this just as a fun exploration activity. You can use it as a team building activity, right? Because we are uh, meeting a friend as I was walking down the street, a friend of mine I chance to meet. So you can use this as a mixer. I love to use this on the first day of school, but that's beside the point. Uh, this is about meter and how can we use our bodies to show the differences that music allows with duration and with weight.
So when it comes to using movement as a scaffold in a rhythmic sense, we are going to ask ourselves, how can we use our bodies to show weight and duration? And whatever possibilities we come up with there, that is a good lead in to some rhythmic ideas. Let's talk about melody. Melody is not about duration. Melody is about the relationship of pitch. It's, melody is about high and low. So how can we use our bodies to show high and low? Again, there are many opportunities here. There are many multiple right answers. One option that I really enjoy is with the book Harold and the Purple Crown. And if you were to take that book and open it up, you would see on the first couple pages, there are all these purple squiggles everywhere. Well, we can use those wiggles as vocal exploration, as movement exploration, as barred instrument exploration, but ultimately we can use those squiggles moving high and low to reinforce this idea of pitch, of melodic contour as a melodic understanding. So in those first few pages, uh, let's imagine that you are going to have students take their finger out and trace along the image of those lines swooping and swirling everywhere. And as they use their finger, they can also add their voice to it. So you might have something, right? And then we have that vocal exploration. Let's move it to movement exploration. Instead of using your finger to show the high and the low and all of the loop-de-loop-de -loop sounds that we can make with our voice, could you show those with your body? A nice way to scaffold this is to have students, this is something that I would do with very young students, so they can stay in their spots at first and show the high and the low movement with their shoes velcroed to the floor. And then when you sense that we have the self-control to do this in open space, we can make those high and those low shapes travel in open space. One question that we get to answer when we talk about this relationship of movement and music is, does the movement inform the music or does the music inform the movement? And the correct answer is it's both. We can choose whatever suits our purpose at that particular time. So if we wanted to have the music influence the movement, then the teacher might make a vocal exploration and the students echo with their bodies moving high and low. So I'm might say oh and students echo oh as they show a high to a low motion now one very quick note a very easy way to do that is to take your hand high and move it low another very easy way to do that is to make your body very tall and then make it very short but could we kind of change that up could we find other ways to move to high and low that don't involve our hands exclusively that's kind of an interesting um, question to ask your students especially if we are moving in open space there are a lot of really exciting ways to show high and low relationships another way to do it would be to have the movement influence the melody. So a student stands in the middle of the circle or they stand at the front of the room or whatever it is and they perform a movement low to high, high to low, whatever it is and the rest of the class echoes what they see that student doing in terms of pitch relationship. We can also transfer this same thing to barred instruments. And there are lots of options here. One option, if we wanted to stick with this Harold and the Purple Crayon uh, exploration idea, we can have half the students be squiggles and half the students be uh, barred instrument players. 
So the bard instrument players are at the instruments. The squigglers are just set around the room in open space. And when I say open space, what I mean is we are not in closed space. That is like touching something or being very close to something. We are in open space. There's lots of empty air between us and everything else. So when I say open space, that's what I mean. So students are moving in open space high and low. The students who are at the bard instrument are just going to pick one friend to watch. And whatever that friend does in terms of high and low relationships, that student is going to play it on the bard instrument. So their friend makes a very high shape. The student at the bard instrument would play on the high side of the instrument. And then the friend travels all the way down to a very low shape. That bard instrument mallet player is going to move their mallets down the instrument to just replicate whatever their friend is doing. So so especially with melody, there are some fun ideas of movement influencing the music and then the music influencing the movement both ways. That is kind of an abstract idea. That's just working with melodic contour, again, with probably some pretty young students. If we wanted to take this and make it a little bit more streamlined in terms of a specific pitch pattern, a pitch set, a very easy way to do that is just to take your target melodic phrase, whatever your extractable phrase is with your target melodic element, and ask students to put that on body melodic contour. So how can you find a way to show the direction of this melody, let's say uh, that it has low so in it. How can you find a way to replicate this melody through movement? And then when it's time to present low so, you have just one more set of experiences that students have had with this pitch low so before you add the vocabulary that we will use in the classroom, before you label it. Students have already had this creative opportunity to reflect low so through movement of their choice. Okay, so that is rhythm and that is melody. Again, I want to stress that there are lots and lots and lots of options here, but maybe these are just a few that can get us started. Okay, let's talk about form. Form is about same and different. And so the question here is how can we use our bodies to show same and different? Maybe we do it with echoing and we do it with contrast, same and different. One very easy way to do this, you know, if you have not introduced movement before in your classroom and this kind of makes you nervous, like the idea of kids in open space, just like doing creative movement. <laughs> um, number one, yes, it is kind of stressful for some of us who like to have a lot of control in the classroom. That's okay. A very easy way to get started as it applies to form would you would be just you taking eight steps, eight steady beats in one direction and students echo you eight steady beats in that direction. And then you might say, could you please do the opposite of me? So you take eight steady beats in one direction and likely students will walk backwards from the direction that you did. That is a very easy segue into teaching a song that has perhaps two eight-beat phrases. That's a nice way to map out the phrase structure of the song before you teach it or, you know, connect it to an existing song that students already know. An example of this using phrase form in connection to a song might be with Here Comes a Bluebird. Here comes a bluebird through the window. Ooh, that was eight beats. 
Hey, diddle dum a day day day. Ah, another eight beats, but those are contrasting. Very interesting. So we can show same and different phrases through echoing and contrast. Now, we just talked about taking eight steps one direction and eight steps in another direction, but you could do so many other things with this. But if you just need a way to get started, that might be a nice, uh, a nice access point for you and your students. Maybe students are not doing this with you, like the teacher doing something in the class, doing something different. Maybe students are doing this in partners. So one student does something for eight beats to match the length, the phrase length of, here comes a bluebird through the window, and their partner takes the next eight beats with something contrasting, a contrasting motion. Hey, diddle dum a day, day, day. And then you would go back to the first partner. Take a little partner, hop in the garden. And they do that same thing that they did before. And then the partner echoes with or responds with, hey, diddle dum a day, day, day. They're contrasting eight beat idea. So there are lots of opportunities for different levels of student collaboration. That is a nice way to kind of explore phrase form, but if we wanted to do more uh, sectional form, we can also do that as well. Something like the chimes of Dunkirk or a lot of other folk dances are written in sectional form, and that just makes sense. The different sets of movements match up with the different sections in the piece in a more zoomed out view. So that's some ideas for form. We can also use expression in connection with movement. Let's talk about specifically dynamics in terms of expression. So dynamics are about large and small sounds. So how can we use our bodies to show large and small? Well, there are many possibilities. We can talk about large sounds and small sounds. We could also slowly get larger or gradually get smaller. If we were going to use this idea of loud and quiet and relate that to big and little, one option could be um, asking students to fly around like a teeny tiny quiet bee. So you make your body as small as you can. Now notice that your bee can still go high and low because that's a separate thing from big and little high and low, different from big and little. So we can speak with our quiet bumblebee voice as we make our quiet bumblebees fly around in open space. Bee, bee, bumblebee, stung a man upon his knee. And then we can ask students to make a big bee. What would your big bee look like? And maybe if you were doing this in kind of limited space, their large bees with their big motions, maybe that happens in place instead of moving around the room. Uh, but that's totally up to you. Uh, then we can use our large bees to make a large sound. Bee, bee, bumblebee, stung a man upon his knee. And that idea is kind of rinse and repeat with a lot of early elementary things when we are exploring loud and quiet. Not that you have to rinse it and repeat it, but there are many opportunities in many of the songs that we would use for large and small sounds, big and small, loud and quiet. There are lots of opportunities with other songs that we would use for that expressive element that we can also very easily turn into this movement exploration of big and little. Let's very quickly talk about texture. When we talk about texture, that's something like a round or adding an ostinato or doing partner songs, something like that. 
Let's use the example of an ostinato and let's use the song Apple Tree. When we create ostinati with students, one way to facilitate that, and I know this isn't necessarily tied to movement, but one way to facilitate that would be to say, hey, what would you do if you were walking through an apple orchard and you had an apple fall on your head? I asked this once to second graders and someone said, I would split it into pieces and share it with a friend. And I said, great, split it into pieces, share it with the friend. Split it into pieces, share it with the friend. And that becomes our ostinato. So whatever students give you, you kind of just translate it into a metered rhythm. And students can do this on their own um, as well, but it just depends on how much experience they have with that particular form of musicianship, you know, taking a text and turning it into a repeatable musical pattern. So if that were our ostinato, pick it into pieces, excuse me, split it into pieces, share it with a friend. You might ask students to repeat that several times and then ask them to put those words inside their head so they're not speaking them. And instead of speaking, could you act this out? Could you use movement to show splitting your apple into pieces and sharing it with a friend? So let's make that the ostinato, and then we can have half the class do that movement ostinato, that repeating musical pattern that they do over and over and over again, while the other half of the class sings the song Apple Tree. And while we're at it, we could also have half of the class doing the movement idea, whatever they come up with, and then the other half of the class is going to actually play the circle game Apple Tree. So that's one example for texture. When we are thinking about the actual activities that we are going to do with a movement lens, we are again going to think about the purpose of the activity and then we are going to think about the actual nature of the musical element we are exploring. Is it a relationship of length, long and short? Is it a relationship of high and low? Is it a relationship of weight and unweighted, same and different, large and small? All of these things. What is the actual uh, gist? What's the essence of the musical understanding we want students to explore? And once we know what it is, then we can think about all of these different creative movement ways to teach it after we decide, again, what it actually is. What does this element really, at the bottom, at the bottom of the barrel, at the end of the day, what does it boil down to? There are, of course, many other possibilities here. And if you have your own really brilliant ideas, I know that I would love to hear from you. And I'm sure that many of our colleagues in our community would love to hear from you as well. So you can click the link in your show notes and that's gonna take you to a specific page where you can leave a comment. I think that as we move into the fall, after the year that we have had, Exploring these musical understandings with creative movement and involving students in that creative process and then also having opportunities for students to collaborate together in a creative capacity that is still grounded in a purpose, in a musical and pedagogical purpose for that activity. I think all of those things are really going to serve us well at the end of this summer when we move into the classroom in the fall. If you listen to this podcast, you and I are colleagues. And so, just so that we both know you have heard a colleague say this today, I believe that you are a good music teacher. The work you do is valuable. You make an impact in your students' lives. Your students are better off because you are their elementary general music teacher. 
So whatever this week brings, may you approach it with energy and empathy and know that you have a support system behind you and you are not alone.